You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Hey, we're so glad that you're with us. And listen, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Tell your neighbor that right now. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. God is big enough. Can you say amen to that? God is big enough. Now, I'm going to be in this chair for a second. I don't know how long I can sit here. I'm feeling it. We may have to drag the pulpit over here before it's all said and done. Uh, Somebody bring me my water and have it close by because I'm going to need that. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Matthew. Yep, we're going to the 25th chapter. Matthew 25. And we're going to read uh, from verses 14 to 30. And then after we're through reading, I'm going to back up, lay a little groundwork, and then we're going to move forward. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read out of King James. So that has the these and the thous. So if you're ready and if, you, if you're poised, let's read together. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants... He didn't call someone else's. He called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. Now I want you to understand something just real quickly. God doesn't give you something you cannot handle. He only gives you what he knows you can handle what you can do. So keep that in mind. Take a look at this. Uh, And to one, to every man according to his several ability, in other words, what you can do, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that received the two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that not the phrase that all of us are living, waiting to hear? We're waiting to hear that uh, that phrase, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of us are living for that moment. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Mm, that's exciting right there. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy 
of the Lord. Do you notice that if we give God our best with the little that he hands us, he's going to allow us to do much, much more. He's going to give. And, and did you notice that he says, enter into the joy? That's entering into reward. That's entering into the goodness of the works of God. God's going to allow us to do things. It'll never seem like you're going to work when you're working for the Lord. That's, that's really what is being said here. Look at this. Verse 24, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. Now, he's telling his perception of his master. He said, I knew that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. In other words, I'm giving you back what you gave to me. Uh, I didn't do anything with it, but I'm going to give it back to you. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye... Now pay attention to the wording right here. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now from verse 31 on to verse 46, Jesus is talking about judgment. He's coming out of chapter 24 explaining what the end is going to look like. Then he starts teaching parables, and as he's teaching the parables, he's bringing it all to a crescendo, and the crescendo is this. He wants them to know that all of this ends in judgment. There will be both, all the nations of the world will be gathered, and there will be uh, nations that are considered goats and nations that are considered sheep, and within those nations there will be people who are considered sheep and people who are considered goats. The sheep are, are the people who know the Lord, truly know him. They're, they're, they're not just uh, lip service only. They truly know him. They've truly had a born-again experience. They truly have loved him. They've truly lived for him. And they are going to enter into reward. Those that are goats may have played around with the gospel, may have never, ever been uh, uh, friendly to the gospel, but they're going to be judged for what they've done with what they know. And so I want you to understand that this all ends the way God intends for it to end. And the beauty is, is that God has servants that he can trust. He has people who will produce. He has people who will take what he gives them and make it much more. And by the time they're done, they're going to enter into the reward of the Lord. And the Lord never gives us a job or an assignment that is above our ability. He only gives us the assignments, the giftings, and the callings that we can handle, that our personality our makeup, our, our, our personhood can produce. So <clears throat> keep that in mind. And I'm going to back up real quickly uh, to uh, chapter 24. I'm not going to read there, but I just want to fill in some backstory if I could. You know, the disciples came to Jesus in chapter 24, and they said, what does the end look like? So Jesus tells them this really inspiring, exciting uh, phraseology. He says, 
Well, it's going to be full with wars <laughs> and earthquakes and famine and flood and pestilence and signs in the sky, such as blood moons and the sign of the Son of Man. And that generation should look up because redemption draws near. Like the time of Noah, like the time of Lot, it will come unaware and take them unaware. And uh, these people will be caught up in this. They're looking for, uh, they're not looking for the moment. They're not looking for Christ to return. And all of these signs have been given, but they've not heeded those signs. They've been so caught up in their everyday ho-hum living that they miss the signs of wars and famines and floods and pestilence and, and plagues and diseases and the things that are going on. They've missed that, and then they've not paid any attention to the blood moons that have been in the sky. They've not paid any attention to the sign of the Son of Man that happened here just, what, two, about a year ago, two years ago, that happened in the skies when we stood out here in we had the the uh, the solar eclipse here on this parking lot. I'm I'm telling you, it was it was a, a divine moment. And God says that the generation that sees all of these things culminating at the same time is that generation. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to understand, we are that generation. We're the generation that is like no other generation. We are going to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That excites me because I've lived my whole life with a God consciousness, desiring to be all that I can be for him. And, and, and it's exciting to me that I'm going to be in that generation that gets to see him. Now, should I fall in the grave before it happens? Because no man can predict the day nor the hour. But the word makes it clear that the people who saw these signs, they will be, whoever is the last person in that generation will still be alive at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it could be another 50 years. It could be another 20 years. It could be another 10 years. But I really don't think so. I'm thinking like it's coming very, very soon. And that makes what we're going through right now all that much more exciting. I know most of us, and I've, I've wrestled with it too, you know, the, there's a spirit of fear that's been attached to this thing. And I think the fear that's being perpetrated on our nation right now is far greater than the disease. I'm sorry, that's just how I feel about it. I think, I think in some ways, I'm just going to say it because I'm, I'm man enough to say it. I think we're being hoodwinked in a lot of ways. I'm not here. I'm not here to say there's not a real disease. There is a real disease out there. We know it's really happening. We know there's a real virus going on. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is I think the fear mongerers have made it far greater than it is. And I honestly feel like our nation and the world is being shut down as a test. I'm going to leave it there because I could get into conspiracy theory. I'm not going to go there. But I'm just telling you, if, if the world is, is testing us, the world, the population, don't you think God can take the test and do something even greater with that test and make a testimony out of the test that we're being put through? God's going to do something exceedingly abundantly above all we can even think to ask. And I don't know about you, but I'm about ready to run around this room right now. It's cold enough in here. I'd feel probably pretty good if I ran around in here and warmed up just a little bit. <laughs> so, in, 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 in the 24th chapter, we get around verse 48. 
Jesus has already told them what it's going to look like. And now he starts into a parable in chapter 24. I'm still talking about chapter 24. He starts into a parable about uh, uh, when the servants or the followers begin to ignore the truth, they know and begin to act like the world. In other words, when they, when they ignore the truth they know, they begin to act worldly. That in that parable, he's talking about a man who had a vineyard, and he he put these men to work, and they ignored the they ignored the command. They went about doing their own thing, and when he returned, he found uh, he found that they were not doing what was supposed to be done, and so in that particular parable, he hands out a reward called the hypocrites' reward, but God is looking for faithful servants, because those who are faithful in that same parable walked into a great blessing. And so then we move into chapter 25. We have the parable of the, of the ten virgins. The foolish virgins were unprepared and unable to get prepared when their final opportunity to serve comes. They've played around just long enough. Now, understand this, that in that parable, all of the virgins slumbered and slept. All of the church was just a little bit off kelter when the midnight cry came. And when the midnight cry came, it didn't mean that was the rapture at that moment. The midnight cry is, get up, remnant church, get up and start lighting the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And those of you who've wasted your opportunity, you are going to end up with a hypocrite's reward and find yourself shut out of the blessing of God and the favor of God and the ability to carry out God's command, God's um, God's mandate, God's job for you. And so he's, he, Jesus is letting the disciples really get an understanding here of just how tumultuous it's going to be at the end. There's wars, there's earthquakes, there's troubles, there's blood moons, there's signs, there's pestilence, there's disease, there's all these things. People are running around with fear. The Bible says that it's going to get so bad. I think this is just the first in many things to come. Please don't quote me, but I just believe that. And I want you to understand, we can't bend and bow every time something like this comes along. Uh, Right now, we're in a test, so we're going to pass this test, and we're going to get through it. But listen, but listen, the Word says that there's going to come a time when men's hearts fail. They have heart attacks and die from fear. Ours is not a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, and we're not going to let the enemy run roughshod over the church of Jesus Christ because I don't know about you, but I'm a remnant believer. I'm on the side of the wise. Oh, I got to get back to this. I'm having fun already. Mm. You see, uh, in the parable, their job is to light the pathway to the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is Christ Jesus. We're bringing people to Jesus. That's been our assignment from the time that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church in the in Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the church was birthed, and by that time, shortly thereafter, after that time, then the Gentiles were brought 
into the church. And as, uh, as our, our brothers and sisters, the Jews, uh, began to be dispersed throughout the earth and the temple fell, the time started clicking on the end time. When the temple fell, that was the time clock when the time started clicking down for the end time. And now you and I are in the time of the Gentile. We've had all these years, 2,000 years, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and down to the end when we should be the strongest, the most powerful that we can be, we're beginning to nod off and we're beginning to fall asleep and we're beginning to get ho-hum, and everything else around us is more exciting than the church. Everything else around us has become more exciting. I've never been more excited in my life to know that every God in America that has been exalted has been put down, and the only God that is shining right now is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is exciting to me. God, just like he did with Dagon, he he caused those idols to fall before the one and only true God. In America, our idols are laying prostrate. Oh, I don't know how long it's going to last, but church, we need to seize this opportunity. As the world is leaning in for fear, they're looking for comfort. They're looking for help. They're looking for someone who will be the church of Jesus Christ. They're looking for someone who won't back up. Up. They're looking for someone who's not afraid or jittery or scared. They're looking for someone who's not afraid that there's a plague in the air, but they trust their God enough uh, that he can keep me in the middle of a plague. Mm, leave me alone. I'm preaching. So their job is to light the pathway to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wise, now listen, ladies and gentlemen, the wise aren't flawless. Let me let that hang in the air for a minute. They're not, we're not flawless. None of us are flawless. Uh, but they too are unaware of the moment. We've been preaching, we've been singing, we've been talking about revival. I have talked about revival and preached revival until my tongue is almost snapped off of its roller at times. Waiting and anticipating only to see people get sleepier. Can I just say it? I'm going to say it. I'm going to say, I don't care. I don't care. I've watched people get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. And church attendance fall off and fall off and fall. I'm saying it. Fall off and fall off. Until some of the people that still feel like they're very faithful, I see them once every six weeks. Everything else in life has become more important than the church. And the world has designed it that way. They've, they've got it to where now on Wednesday nights, uh, schools have activities. They've got it on Sundays. You know, it used to be if, if you went to a, like I'm a hot rodder. When we go to, to car shows, you always done that on Friday night or Saturday because you knew Sunday was church. Now all those activities are done on Sunday, races and football games and everything. And, and I know people who want God, but they can't get away from their season tickets to come to the house of God and worship. And they'll sit in sub-zero weather, but they can't bring their children to the church because it might be chilly. Oh, come on. I'm just going to be. I'm being honest. Can I be honest? There's, this is not a time to play, ladies and gentlemen. 
God has given us a wake-up call. I'm shaking you this morning. I'm shaking the church. Wake up. Wake up. I'm not scolding. I'm encouraging. Listen to me. It sounds like a scold, I know. What I'm trying to say is wake up. Wake up. There's more to this than just getting distracted. There's more to this than, than letting the world uh, run roughshod over us. It's time, to, it's time to leave those gods laying on the ground. Don't resurrect these dead gods now. Don't go out and resurrect all the gods, you know, NFL and, and uh, you know, Major League Baseball and blah, 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 blah. I could go down the line. I just go down the line. Let's not resurrect those gods. Let's put God in his proper place. And those things can be a secondary thing down the road somewhere, but they're not your God. It's time to put God back in his place. And even though the wise aren't flawless, I haven't even got to our message yet today, even though the wise aren't flawless, they are too unaware of their moment to be able to rally because of their preparation to carry out their assignment and to enter into the place of their calling, having led a multitude of guests to the great feast. So even the wise church has fallen asleep. And God is saying, wake up. He's shaking us. He's pulling at us saying, wake up. Your opportunity is right before you. And boy, we've never had a greater opportunity in America than this moment right now. And although although the devil's scared and he's trying to get the church to not congregate, not meet, not, you know what? There's electronic devices, and we can use them for the purpose of the kingdom. We don't have to sit here and and be afraid. We're working on things next week where maybe we might just do parking lot church. Ah, Wouldn't that just mess the devil up? (laughs) We'll let you know what's going to happen there. So although the church is divided into two worldly, unprepared, unaware uh, 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 entities, and and although uh, the part of the church is in a mess, the part that's in a mess, those that have begun to compromise and act like the world and look like the world, I'm just going to say it because I'm man enough to say it. Those that are allowing homosexuality, those that are allowing same-sex marriage, those that are allowing abortion, those that are the shedding of innocent blood. And I could go right down the line because we've just warmed the church up into some kind of a social club where we want to appease the flesh of men so we can get numbers, so we can get a big offering. Just going to say it. Hope that hurts your feelings. (laughs) Because what God is wanting to do is give them their portion. If they don't wake up in this season, their portion, their reward will be a hypocrite's reward, which ends in being out of the kingdom in darkness where nothing but anguish and the grinding of your teeth is all you have to look forward to. Now, did I say it plain enough? I think I did. Are we getting ugly responses or good responses, Pastor Colleen? So let's get on with this. The wise remnant. Here's what I want you to understand. I said this a couple days ago, and we'll get into our message today. (laughs) A couple of weeks, about a week ago, a few days ago, just about three or four days ago, I I got online and I shared with you this story about the talents. And I shared, uh, not the talents, but, but the virgins. And I shared with you that... Here's the great hope in all of this. 
Jesus knew this hour would come. Jesus foretold it. Here we are. And Jesus simply said this. He said, five were wise, five were foolish. The foolish missed their opportunity, but the wise, a remnant, half, got it done. So even the remnant can get the message of Jesus done. We can accomplish what we were put here on the earth, no matter how crazy it is, no matter how scary it is, We've got the power and the anointing to go the extra mile and get accomplished what the Lord wants accomplished. Can you say amen to that? So let's get to our message today, the talent and the servants. I apologize. Here we go. Look at this. A talent is worth $5,000. This really isn't about money. This is really more about ability. Okay? This is about gifting and ability. But listen. A talent is worth $5,000. To one, he gave five, which is $25,000. He went out and made $50,000. Okay? To the second one, he gave $5,000 or $10,000, and he went out and made $20,000. And to one, he gave just one talent, $5,000, and that that, uh, servant buried it and gave back to the master the same $5,000. That he gave. Now, Jesus was the master teacher, and he always used common everyday things to teach the, the deep spiritual meanings. He done it in a way so that sometimes you had to search for the meaning. He didn't always just throw it out for the public to understand it immediately. He explained a lot of this to the disciples behind the scenes. Today, it's much easier because we know the Word. We've, we've, we've been in the Word long enough. We now have the Holy Spirit to lead us, guide us, and direct us. And all of this makes sense to us today when it didn't in the past. So two were called faithful and were rewarded, and one unfaithful person was penalized and disowned, disowned. Now, here's what you need to understand about this parable. As I said, Jesus used common everyday things. This is an agricultural analogy because if you look at it, it says that the two faithful servants, they went out and sowed. Mm. So, the, the man with the five talents, the man with the two talents, took the money and bought seed and planted and tended and winnowed and harvested seed and then sold the harvest for profit. They put work into it. Mm. And here's another interesting thing I want you to see. It also said that the master, who was the lender, He went on a journey, and he was gone for a long time. So this probably didn't happen just in one harvest. This probably happened over a series of different harvests. In other words, the men with the five and the two, they kept working at it, working at it. They didn't necessarily double their their gain on the first Harvest, they had to harvest more than once. They had to keep working at it. The same as you and I, we have to keep 
spreading the gospel. We don't share the gospel once. We share the gospel over and over and over. And we don't just share the gospel. We disciple somebody. We bring them on the journey along with us because they're babies, and it takes them a while to get their feet on the ground, and they're going to make all kinds of messes and troubles and heartaches and hardships. And so we have to take them by the hand, and we have to keep with them in the journey. And once they get uh, to the place where they are... um, how do I want to say this? When they get to the place of maturity, then we turn them loose to replicate what, what they've seen us do. And then we go back and find someone else, and we bring them to, to the fullness of the gospel. And, and so this is what's happening here, and this is what Jesus is alluding to. And he gave them a job, and he gave them provision, and he gave them freedom to do the job to the best of their ability. And the man with five and the man with two, they labored for a long time to double their portion, and they planted and they harvested for possibly more than one season, as I already said, and they worked hard to give their master back an offering that they had earned by their hard work and dedication. In other words, think about this. They gave everything they had. They worked hard because their joy was to give back to their master something better than what they'd been handed. To make it replicate, to make it more. They got the joy and the excitement of giving back to the master more than he gave. Think about that. Now, we know we can't outgive God, but think about that. If I'm faithful with all the things that God's empowered me to do, if, if I'm, I'm going to say this, but I'm not, this is not pointed. If I'm faithful with my tithe, if I'm faithful with my offering, if I'm faithful with my witness, if I'm faithful at loving my brothers and sisters, if I'm faithful to visiting the sick and the, the, the homeless and the elderly, and if I'm faithful feeding the hungry, if I'm faithful with these things, then I'm going to be able to give back to the Lord a mighty offering. Man, that, that, that excites me to, the, to, to, to no end. So I, I love this because after they gave everything from their hard work and their dedica- dedication, they were able to say, hey, Master, look, look at my offering. Look, look what I have given. I, I doubled it for you. I, I will give you... Uh, I will give you back more than what you gave me. I'm so excited, Master, to give this to you. Well, our Master is our supplier, our provider, our caretaker, and our friend. And you know what he did for those men? He said, look, now that you've done this, I'm going to give you something more because you've already proved yourself here. Look what you can do. How about if I give you a promotion and give you a larger field or a larger net? How about if I give you something even bigger? And look, all the joy that you got out of this, think how much more joy you're going to get when I give you more, when I give you more opportunity. But in verse 24, the man with the one talent had a skewed perception of the master as harsh and taking profit from places that he didn't work. So why would I break my back to help you? Now, wouldn't that be an evil thing to do to your master? Wouldn't that be an evil intent from your heart to do that to your Lord and your Savior? 
Say, why do you deserve me to get out here and work? Why do you deserve me to give my best? Why? You know, you're just gonna you're just gonna take the profit, and my name will never be known, and no one will know me. Well, there's a problem with that mentality. The master came to receive what was his and to reward his laborers, but this servant was lazy, resentful, and in it for himself and not in it for his master. And he cut himself off from the master's reward by his nasty disposition towards his master, finding him unfair. If you look at the remnant church, they're often trying to redefine God and mold him into an image that they can accept instead of who he is. He is the sovereign creator. And if he told us that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do that, we are obligated to listen to the master. We are obligated to live his do's and his don'ts and not try to side skirt or bypass or make up new rules that he has not ordained. This is where the church has gotten into trouble. This is why there's a hypocrite's reward. This is why this master with one talent or this servant with one talent wasted his talent. And, and the master said, you know, if you'd have just put this in the bank, you would have gave me something a little extra from what I gave you. It wouldn't have been near what these guys have done, but I would have at least gotten a little bit of, um, of uh, oh, what do you call it? Interest, thank you. A little bit of interest. I would have gotten some interest on my investment, but you gave me nothing. He said, I didn't give you five talents because I knew you couldn't handle a five-talent job. I didn't give you two because I knew you couldn't handle two. I gave you one because it was within your ability to do it. It was within your ability, and you wasted the one opportunity that I trusted you in. Think about that for just a moment. Yet you produced nothing, and you could have received a reward, but now... You lose everything. What you could have had, I will give to the servant who I know can get the job done. Mm. Now you are to be cast out and always forever known as an unprofitable servant. There's nothing I desire more in this life than to hear my father say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And sometimes I have to measure my own actions and go, am I getting lazy? Am I getting too caught up? Am I getting too inundated by the world? Or am I really focusing in? Am I becoming more? Is my prayer life up to snuff? Is my life where it needs to be? Because I don't ever want to be known as an unprofitable servant to my master. Is this too hard? Those who steward the treasure of God or Jesus will rule with him. That's what Jesus leaves us in the last few verses of chapter 25. Those who are faithful will rule with him. Those who take the Father's business serious will produce and be rewarded. The final portion of this chapter is that Christ is coming to sit on his throne of glory. 
and he will instruct angels to divide the nations and the people into two categories. I've already said this up front, sheep and goats. Sheep are gathered to favor and reward and goats to judgment. Goats are those who were self-serving and ignored the work of the ministry or made light of it or tried to rearrange it or tried to redefine it and put themselves in the place of a hypocrite's reward. In John, the ninth chapter of the fourth verse, it says, I must work the works of him that sent me. I wasn't placed on this earth for any other reason but to produce for my master. Yes, I have to hold down a job to live in this society and the structure of this world. Wasn't originally intended that way. But now that we're here because of the fall of Adam, I now have natural things I must take care of in this life and still not negate my mission for the master. Let me finish that verse. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is yet day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Now, Jesus, in context, is quoting about himself and his own work, but trust me, this translates to us. He was saying, (laughs) he was saying, I've got to get the job done because my time is short and it's going to be over. And if I don't get this done and if I don't get these disciples taught and if I don't get them empowered, then all of my work for the master will be lost with me. And guess what? On the day of Pentecost, tag, you're it. Now you're doing the works of Christ. That's why the Bible says greater works shall you do than what Christ did. Why? Because there's more of us to do it. There's far more of us to get it done. There's far more to do and far more people to reach. Jesus was one man. By, by uh, replicating himself into all of us, he can now cover more territory than he could have done as one man. And tag, you're it. You're one of his servants, and you've been given him. You've been given his spirit. You've been given his talent. Don't hand it back to him and haven't done nothing with it. Produce. I know, I know we're in social distancing, but give an air five to the person next to you and say, produce, produce. I'm almost done. I know I've gone over time, but this was important. I'll get on time next week. Look at this. Uh, he says, the night cometh when no man can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as you are in the world, you are the light of the world. As long as you are in the world, you are the light of the world. As long as you are a born-again child of God, you, you have the expression of Christ Jesus in you, then you are the lamplighter, church. We are the virgins. We are the remnant church. We are the expression of Christ to the world. They're looking for a real God. Now that all the other gods are laying on their face. They're looking for a real God who will stand up and expose themselves as the one true 
God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to stand up because we are the representation of Christ Jesus in the earth. For all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily wrapped up in Christ Jesus now resides in you. You are his representation. You are his children. You are his servants. You are the ones with the talent to get the job done. And all he asks is just be faithful with what I have given you. Mm-hmm. So, let me finish. By his Holy Spirit, we are illuminated with Christ to influence our world, to lead them to his plan of salvation, to escape from the death of sin. But we can't bury our talent and we can't eat and sleep with the drunken hypocrites. We are here to produce a reward for our master, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back with a reward. Mm -hmm. But if we waste this moment, we will face him empty-handed, and then he'll have no choice but to deliver us to judgment. So, church, what are we going to do? with this moment. I'm letting that hang in the air. Austin, if you would set some music for me. If you just want to put on the strings, that would be fine too. Church, what are we going to do with this moment? What are we going to do with this challenge that lays before us? Who are we going to lead to Christ? How are we moving forward, church? Yeah, it's heavy. and I want it to be. I intended it to be. I'm going to go a step further. I love every one of you, and I love you with all my heart. You know that. And the enemy's tried his best, and he does to every pastor and to every church and to every congregation, to bring in divisions and to try to get people upset and frustrated and what's my job and what should I do. My job simply is to share Christ. And in the church setting, to put my hand to whatever is needed of me. And if the pastor needs me, I come. Rather, he calls me by name or not. Because sometimes when I'm up here, I'm in a zone, and I don't even see faces. I just, I just am preaching into the manifold wisdom of God, into the atmosphere. So sometimes I don't even make out faces, and, and I don't think to call names. But if I've tagged you to be a prayer partner up here. Come be a prayer partner. Don't wait for me to ask you. If you work with children at your scheduled time, make that the most exciting time. Do it with a heart of servitude to the master because there is a reward to it. If you're on the cleaning crew and you got to clean this building, and I know it's not fun because you know how many times I've cleaned a building. But if you do it for the master, the Bible says that even a cup of cold water given in the master's name 
has a reward attached to it. And we spend so much of our time getting inundated by the world and distracted by the world that we forget all of the reward that waits for us. Just the joy of seeing someone come up here and say yes to Jesus. And you can see just the weight of the world fall off of them. And all of a sudden, Christ in them is illuminated. Before they didn't know him, suddenly now he's taken up residency. Man, that's exciting. Or someone who's just burdened in the body and they come and there's a trial and they're going through a hardship and they're going through a hard time and they weep their way through to freedom. Or you pray for somebody who's bound by something they can't fix. But the power of the Holy Spirit connects with them through you as you pray. And suddenly you're the Jesus standing before them. And through you, Jesus is able to reach into their life. Not you, Jesus. Reaches into their life. And in an instant, they're delivered from something that has plagued them all their life. This is not a moment to waste. Mm. This is a moment to let God be God. Mm. I can't tell you how many times I've stood over a dying saint or a dying sinner. And I watch the saints and I agree with them as they go to be with the Heavenly Father. And I've prayed the prayer of salvation over a dying soul that did not know him and seen them like the thief on the cross in the last moment of their life say, remember me. I've prayed for people who could not communicate to the outside. Yet they could hear me and as I prayed, tears would run down their face even though they could not communicate with me as we prayed I knew they were making peace with God in that moment we cannot waste this opportunity so how are we moving forward church I'm going to say this and I don't mean it ugly I cannot do all of your thinking for you. If you're a part of this body or you're a part of your church's body, your pastor needs you. He's one man. He can't do everything. He needs you. He needs you to come up with some creative ideas. He needs you to implement some things. He needs you to figure out how to reach your neighbor. He needs you to invite people into the family. He needs you to stay with them and help them to grow up. He needs you in every way. So how are we going to build a bridge to success, church? Because the world has lost their gods. Mm -hmm. And they need a bridge. And they don't need us in their face screaming and acting like fool. What they need is for us to love them 
into the kingdom. I didn't say compromise. We cannot compromise. We cannot play and we cannot put a stamp of approval on sinful practice. But we can love the sinner until they look like Christ. That's our job. That's what God's called us to do. So how are we going to map out our victory, Passion Church? How are we going to map out our victory, Church of Jesus Christ? We're going to do it one soul at a time. We're going to do it one hurting person at a time. One broken saint at a time. They need us. We're going to build the most vibrant children's ministries the church has ever known. We're going to build the most exciting teen gatherings that aren't filled with just pizza. They're filled with power and faith and the ability to know him as he is. We're going to have seniors that get on their face and intercede and pray and call down the fire of God upon this younger generation who have the hands and the feet to do what we used to do but cannot do now. But we're not out of the game and we've not been counted out because we've got a faith that will not fail. We've stood the test of time and we're here to intercede and we're here to pray and we're here to prop them up and we're here to hold up their hands in the battle. We're going to have the strongest families on the planet and the strongest families. And we're going to help those who don't know how to navigate relationship. We're going to teach them how you have a godly relationship. We're going to teach them God's statute, God's truth. I've gone on way too long. But I'm going to pray. I know everybody in this room. I know they all know the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't know where you are. And I would be derelict of my responsibility if I don't stop right here and let you know there's still hope in Christ Jesus. He's still on the throne. The stories you've heard about him, even if they've been skewed, understand that he's the only individual to visit the earth, God incarnate. That means God dressed up in flesh that he could reach us. God came from heaven to be with us, to help us. And those stories that you've heard, they're true. He loves you, and he's not willing to give up on you. And all your other gods are laying on their face right now, but there's one that's shining. His name is Yeshua Jesus. He is the Christ, the Christos. He is. He is the Messiah, the Mashiach. He is the sweet rose of Sharon. He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the lily of the valley. He is the great 
I am. He is the burning bush. He is the fire inside. He is the fire shut up in your bones. He is the one that is calling unto you. He is the one who wants to reward you with eternal life. He is the one who loves you and died for you and rose again that he might retrieve you unto himself. He is God. And he wants you. If you'll pray with me right now, you can know him as your Lord and Savior. Lord, with my hand stretched, I pray for everyone, Father, who's witnessing, Father, either by streaming or in this room or by Roku TV. God, those of you in the Middle East who are watching, listen to me. You've been duped and your God is a false God. But the real God is Jesus Yeshua. The one you've been told is just a teacher, not a God. No, it's not true. He's God incarnate. He came for you. He came to save you. And if you but invite him in, he'll become the Lord of your life. And by the power and the presence of his precious Holy Spirit, he will become your Lord forever. Eternally, you will be set with him and empowered. You'll be empowered to take the talents he's given you and turn your world upside down. Saint, if you're listening, there's nothing wrong with repeating the sinner's prayer again and resetting your life. Let's just make today the day of divine reset when we say yes. Pray with me, saints. Lord Jesus. Oh, I'm a sinner. I need you. I want you. I hunger for you. I thirst to know the truth. I give you all of me. If you move into my heart, if you will give me assurance that the old things and my sins are passed away and give me new peace, a new exhilaration. I will serve you all the days of my life. I will learn how to pray to you. I will learn how to learn of you out of your word. I will make your word the thing that I treasure the most in this life. And for all my days on this earth, I will be grateful to you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you for having church with passion today. Now let's keep our passion. Don't let it die. Let's take what we feel in here today to our world. And let's become world changers. Turn it upside down. 
we push back the spirit of fear and we arise as the remnant church of Jesus. We stand, Father, as the remnant church, side by side, arm in arm, and we bring to the world your divine reset. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.